Welcome to the Queen of Hearts podcast. And here's the queen herself, registered dietitian Heather Klug. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Queen of Hearts podcast. I'm Heather Klug, registered dietitian with the Karen Yance Cardiac Awareness Center. With me today is Bethany DeBrew Adams, our health communications coordinator. Hello, Bethany. Hello, Heather. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to you. Today, we are going to talk about the power of habit for heart health. It's January, the beginning of a new year, and a time when people are working on New Year's resolutions or goals. Now, Bethany, did you make any resolutions or goals that revolved around health? Um, yes, not necessarily physical health. My resolutions kind of tend to go more toward my mental health and taking care of my mental health. But I do find that, you know, if I take care of my mental health, it does help with my physical health as well. So yeah, it's like a total mind body approach. Yeah. What about you? Um, no, not really. (laughs) You know, I should be doing a sleep goal. I'm in the contemplation stage. I'm thinking about doing that. So we'll see if I end up doing anything. But my other goal has to do more with decluttering my home because I've been working on that Uh, over the past year. And I'm making really good progress with that. Good news. You know, I read that Marie Kondo book. And not that I'm going to hold everything in my hand and ask if it brings me joy. But there was something in that book that just really resonated with me. And that was everything in your house should have a home. And I'd never heard that before or thought about it, but it makes so much sense. You know what I mean? So it helps me because now I think more about that before I buy something. Well, where would I put that? Do I have Mm -hmm. a place to put that or do I need that even? So it it just gets me to think about that a lot more. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes a long way to, you know, improving your mental health as well. Getting all that clutter out of your house can help you kind of keep your mind clear. And, you know, I see a lot of positives in that goal for the year. Yeah. Well, and it may help with physical health too. I mean, there's been books written on that. Like if you're spending so much time trying to declutter your house, now you don't have time to do other things. Like go for a walk or, you know, spend quality time with your family. Right. So Mm -hmm. yeah. now whether you're trying to eat healthier, exercise more consistently, get more sleep like me, what we're talking about today will help you in achieving your goals. Now, approximately 40% of the population sets goals or resolutions each January 1st with good intentions. Right. However, 80% give up by the second week in February. Okay. Now, I know we've thrown out a lot of statistics on this program, and this is one that does not surprise me at all. Even though it's a big number, I am not surprised. Because doesn't this happen because a lot of people and, you know, you and I, we've done this before ourselves, our goals are vague sometimes or even unrealistic sometimes. Is that why that happens then? Oh, absolutely, Bethany. So see if any of these goals sound familiar to you, because this is what I hear from a lot of people. I want to get healthy this year. I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to exercise more. There's me. I'm going to get more sleep. I'll stop smoking. And then my favorite one, the last one, I want to lose weight. Now, 
None of these goals are what we call SMART goals, and SMART is an acronym. It stands for Specific, Measurable, Attainable, Relevant, and Time-Oriented. And SMART goals will be a topic for another episode, I think, in the future with our cardiac nurse. Another way to look at reaching your goals, and this is going to be our primary focus today, is on habits. Yeah, I think I heard somewhere that habits make up a pretty big chunk of our day. Correct again, Bethany. So a Duke study back in 2009 found that about 40% of our day is habit, just things we do automatically. And it could even be much higher than that. Yeah. So we think we're making all of these, you know, well thought out decisions and stuff like that. But really much of our daily life is kind of an autopilot habit. Yes. I mean, have you ever caught yourself doing something you didn't mean to do and then say, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. I mean, habits are like being on autopilot. We do them without thinking. Not only do habits make up a huge chunk of our daily lives, but habits also bridge the gap between knowing and doing. Now, Bethany, if I had a dollar for every time someone told me, (laughs) Heather, I know what to do. I just need to do it. I'd be rich, or at least I could go on a really nice vacation. Yeah, I think you could take me on that vacation with you with that money. Sure, absolutely. Because honestly, just speaking for myself, and I think a lot of people out there, it's the doing part that's hard for people, and then doing that consistently. Like, I know what's good for me. I'm an adult, you know, I know just making sure it gets done and then it gets done each day or what, you know, however many times a day to make it a habit. Right. And that's why we're talking about creating healthy habits today. Now, remember, habits are the things we do automatically, like washing your hands after going to the bathroom, brushing your teeth before bed, and putting a seatbelt on when you get in the car. You want the same process to happen with heart-healthy habits, like eating vegetables with meals, choosing whole grains in place of the refined ones, drinking water instead of sugary beverages, or taking a walk right during your lunch Mm -hmm. break or after work. Those are just a few examples. Now, before we get into how we go about creating healthy habits, I'd like to share a couple quotes that I really like that have to do with habits. The first one is from Tony Robbins. In essence, if we want to direct our lives, we must take control of our consistent actions. It's not what we do once in a while that shapes our lives, but what we do consistently. This next one is wise words from Aristotle. He lived a long Ah. time ago. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. And then the last one is from a motivational speaker named Jim Rohn. He says, motivation is what gets you started. Habit is what keeps you going. Ah, those are all very good, relevant quips there. Yeah. So, you know, talking about the importance of developing healthy habits, how do we do that? Because I don't think we ever really sit and think about why we do some of the things we do, like brushing our teeth before bed. So how do we create these habits. Yeah, the information I'll be sharing next comes from a book. It's called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. He talks about how habits are formed thanks to research on brain injury patients. One of the stories in the book was about this man and he had short-term memory loss from an infection that he got. And this man couldn't remember if he just ate, but he knew where everything was in the kitchen to prepare food. He could leave the house on his own and find his way back home 
no problem. Even though if you asked him where he lived, he would say, I don't know. Now, researchers Mm. at, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Researchers at MIT have learned from these patients that a certain part of our brain is integral to forming habits. Ooh, you know, I love the brain and I know you love the brain. So I know you're going to tell me what that part of the brain is called. You bet I am. So there's a small golf ball sized lump of tissue near the center of our brain, and it's called the basal ganglia. Now, anything near the center of your brain and close to the brainstem has to do with more primitive and automatic functions. The basal ganglia's job is to keep track of patterns you do over and over again. When it sees you do something repeatedly, it forms a habit for you. And there's a process that goes through to form a habit. It's called the three-step habit loop. So now as I go through this, I want you guys to maybe try to visualize this in your head. So on the left-hand side, step one is there's a cue or you can think of it as a reminder. So a cue usually pops up. If we even just talk about food for a moment, it could be like the sight and smell of food. It could be the location, you know, where you're at. It could be the time of day. It could be emotions or things that you're feeling. It could even be things that other people say and do, or it could be activities that revolve around food. So you usually see something or you're thinking about something or somebody else is saying something, right? And it's like this cue, or you could think of it as even like a trigger. And then step two, if we move over to the right, next comes our behavior. Or you can think of this as your routine. So this is like the action part, the doing part. And then step three is the last part on the right-hand side. So at the end, after you do this behavior, there's a reward. So it's either positive or negative. Now, you can imagine if it's a positive reward, you're going to be more likely to do that thing again, right? Mm -hmm. So I like to explain this process with a movie theater example. Now, what do we mostly encounter when we walk into a movie theater, Bethany? Well, that would be the snack bar. And they have that big popcorn machine where you see the popcorn and you smell the pop, like the smell of popcorn. <laughs> yeah. You just said a big cue right there. So the smell <laughs> of popcorn and the sight of it, those are two big, huge cues. Other people are also buying it. I mean, there's just so many cues kind of going on when you walk right into the movie theater. So what do most people end up doing? You walk over to the concession stand, you buy the popcorn, mm-hmm. right? You eat yep. it during the movie. It's a very enjoyable experience. It's a positive reward. So you'll probably do it again the next time you go to the movies, right? So I'm guessing if you do this, if it you start doing this every time you go to the movies, now it's become a habit. Yes, unless you intentionally do something different in your routine. Right. Right. Now, what really drives the habit to form besides repetition is intense craving or anticipation. So let's go back to the movie theater example. Let's say you planned earlier in the week to go to the movies. Maybe you've been thinking about that popcorn all week now. You've built up this intense craving. It's very likely you'll get the popcorn when you go. It's not a 100% guarantee, but the anticipation makes it so hard for you to turn the popcorn down. Yeah, I would say so. And I've had that happen where I've looked forward to something like that and then it's not available Mm. and then you get really disappointed. Oh. So that, you know, (laughs) like if if that popcorn is not available, our popcorn machine is busted, you've ruined my day at that point. 
So now what if I've developed a habit and I want to get rid of it? Can I get my basal ganglia to erase it? Is it something that can be like, get that out, put a different one in? Now that's an excellent question, Bethany. (laughs) And what I'm going to say next is really crucial. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So once a habit is formed, it's always there. It's stored in your basal ganglia and your basal ganglia is just waiting for the right cue or trigger or reminder to set it into motion. I think I speak for all of us when I say that stinks. It very much does, but it underscores why it can be hard to change for so many people. Habits are a thousand times easier to create than they are to break. Now, the good news, because I don't want people to get too depressed because I just told you something not right. Right. But the good news is that it is possible to change habits. It does involve creating new healthy habits and doing them consistently. And when you do the new healthy habits, you'll push the not so healthy habits kind of in the background or on the back burner. At least that, you know, that's a positive. So it seems like your basal ganglia doesn't differentiate between a healthy habit and a, we'll just say a not so healthy habit. Your basal Uh, ganglia doesn't know. Yeah. Very astute of you, Bethany. I was going to mention that next. Your basal ganglia doesn't know if something you're doing is healthy for you or not, sadly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It only knows how to recall patterns and to form habits. Okay. So that means we should be careful I mean, I don't think any of us really think too hard if we're creating a, you know, like aside from a resolution type habit, but we need to be a little more aware of the habits we're creating is what you're saying. Yes. Now this reminds me of another quote. So last quote I'll share with you guys, but it's from Jack Canfield. He says, good or bad, habits always deliver results. So I want everybody to think, which results do you want to see? (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, we learned we can't erase habits, which is a bummer, Mm -hmm. but we know we can create new healthy habits and kind of, you know, shove out those old unhealthy habits. But can we change or break an unhealthy habit? Like, is it in there and and it's just there and we can't change it at all? You know, we actually can change it. The old habit is still there. But I don't know how to best explain this. You can create an improved version of the habit, if that makes sense. Almost like it's getting a little reboot. And this is done by using the golden rule of habit change. This is when the cue and the reward are the same. Now, remember, that's the first and the last step, right? Mm -hmm. In forming that habit. The cue is still there and you still want to feel good at the end. But you change that middle step by just changing your behavior or the routine. And this strategy is best used when you cannot change the cues or the reminders that are around you. Can you give us an example? Sure. And I'm sure people have done this with other kind of behaviors. You just didn't know you were doing it. But let's go back to the movie theater popcorn example. Let's say you decide that you aren't going to get the popcorn this time when you go to the movies. Now, remember, this is your usual routine or behavior. So Mm -hmm. what can you do differently? Because movie theaters are not going to stop selling popcorn. That cue is always going to be there. It's a big money for them, right? Yeah. Well, first I'd have to go to the movies without my husband because he's the <laughs> he's the popcorn instigator. So that would be the first thing I would change. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> but I, I think for me, I would probably eat before I go because I think the main 
draw is like, if I am full, I'm not going to put popcorn on top of that. That's what I would be thinking in my brain. If I have any space for food, I would probably put more popcorn in my belly. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And I love that idea because (laughs) that's something that's doable, right? I mean, you just Mm -hmm. have to remind yourself to do it or plan your movie around after a meal maybe or something. Yeah. think of any other options? Because usually when I teach this class to people, I have people brainstorm a lot of different options. So can you think of any other ideas? Well, obviously, don't buy the industrial-sized, like, tub of popcorn. Try to get... (laughs) Try to get the smallest size. I realize they kind of set that up so, you know, you're saving money if you buy like the super big kind. But I would I would buy the smaller kind or maybe like could I chew gum throughout the movie to keep myself busy or yeah. sometimes you know. people just want their mouth to kind of like they feel like they need to be doing like chewing something, you know. So yeah. Maybe yeah. gum would help. I like the idea of like buying the smaller size popcorn. I think that's really good. Could get like a big water to drink during it. Again, it's something that you can kind of do with your hands still while you're watching mm-hmm. the movie. Some people are just used to that. The last one, and this is probably a big naughty thing to do. It is what I do, but mm. I bring in my own popcorn because I can't, <gasps> I know it's against the rules. I know. But I bring it in in a (laughs) bag. I sneak it in in my big purse. But I can't eat their regular popcorn. So unless they're going to offer me a lactose-free version, I'm going to bring my own. (laughs) I would like to see the argument that ensues the time that they catch you. (laughs) I know, I know. So far, I haven't been caught. But anyway, how about we move on? So really what you want to do, hopefully that just gives you some ideas. Just really figure out a strategy that would work for you individually if you're thinking about changing or or modifying a behavior. Now, the last strategy to talk about is modifying the cue or reminder, that first step. So Mm. since many of us are in our own homes more than usual these days, let's pick a room with problematic cues. I don't know, like maybe the kitchen. How did I know you'd say that? <laughs> what are some problem cues in the kitchen for most? Oh, people? I got one. Okay. I got one because we've just made it through the holiday season, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who got a plate of cookies and candies from a family member. So they were all homemade, and it's on a plate. I can't put a plate in my cupboard. You know, <laughs> I have to put it. It's on a pretty holiday plate. I'm gonna put it on my cabinet, you know, like I'm going to have it sitting out right there. And then it starts calling to me because once it's open, we don't want the cookies to go stale. We got to eat them. Yeah. That's a big cue right there, Bethany. I mean, the visual cue is so strong for most people. They see things and then they want to eat them, even if they're Mm -hmm. not hungry. You know, there could be other things on the counter, not necessarily cookies, or maybe it's sitting, you know, in the pantry, you open up the door or if it's in the cupboard and you just open things up and it's sitting right there looking at you, right? Or even in the Mm -hmm. refrigerator, you open it up and it's it's right there. So be careful of those things just kind of lying around. But other things that I hear from people, even with cooking at home, which is a great thing to do, some people have problems with the leftovers and figuring out what to do with them. So as they're putting them away, they might start eating some of the leftovers because it's right. Um, So portion that stuff right away and get it into other containers, put it away so it's not sitting around kind of tempting you. So those are just some thoughts. So you can think about, you know, even other 
other rooms in your house, if there's other cues. Like for a lot of people, they often eat while they're watching TV, right? So maybe wherever you do that might be a problem area for you. Now, it doesn't mean you have to stop watching TV. You could do something different. So it's not triggering you to do that. Or you just got to change like not keeping the food around if that's what you see and then it gets you to eat it while you watch TV, if that makes sense. Um, But other ideas could be, what about your workplace? Is there a break room or a spot where there's tempting food sitting around? Do you keep food on your desk or in a drawer? Do you go to the vending machine or cafeteria to buy food? You know, so I just want everybody to kind of think about, again, all those different cues that are in your environment. We can stay away from cues or we can respond to them in healthier ways. And if we practice these new behaviors enough, they will become automatic. So now I've often heard that it takes 21 days to create a habit. I think that's kind of like the the party line that we've all been told. Is that true? (laughs) Now, it's important for everyone to know that there isn't a magical time frame for creating habits. It could take 21 days, but it could also take longer. So I'm going to share with you a study that was done in England. It had thousands of people in it. They each created a habit. And then researchers called the study participants every day and asked if the behavior was automatic yet. Answering the phone would become automatic, I would think. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They found that some habits could become automatic within 15 days but some took 264 days. Yikes. Yeah, and the average was 66 days, so about three times longer than what we've all been told. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, that's not bad. I mean, basically, it's just telling us don't give up. If you haven't made that your habit in that three-week, you know, the three-week time frame is not finite, people. If you haven't done it, you can keep going and it can become a habit. Right. And I know most people want immediate results, right? Yeah. But, you know, we're not patient with ourselves or the process, but I think we all need to remember that change takes time. Yeah, definitely. Were there any insights? I mean, I'm kind of interested into what helped some habits become automatic quicker than others. I would be thinking that too. I'd be like, wow, why did some of them, you know, why were some so easy? Well, you could think some habits are just easier than others too from person to person. But the biggest factor in what researchers call automaticity, so that's your behavior becoming automatic, Mm -hmm. it's just repeating the new behavior consistently very early on. especially in the first two weeks. So doing it off and on wasn't successful, but doing it every single day was very effective. So let's say you wanted to increase your daily water intake and you decide you're going to drink a large glass of water before lunch and dinner. Do this repeatedly for the first two weeks and the habit will stick much more effectively than, oh, you just kind of did it some days, but not others. Right. And that makes sense because, you know, that's kind of what I did. We've talked about like my sleep, my evening routine so that I can sleep better and more efficiently and more Mm -hmm. consistently. And it's just a matter of it doesn't matter the day. It doesn't matter what you're doing the next day. You still go to bed and you still do those same things because then you're training yourself that this is my routine. This is time to get ready to go to sleep now. So we've talked about creating these new habits and breaking old habits. Let's make this really simple for people to create these new heart healthy habits as we start this year. Yep. 
So I'm just going to go through a quick five steps. Step one, decide on a small goal that you'd like to achieve for your heart health. Make sure it's a simple action that you can do every day. So again, maybe you're going to drink a glass of water before each of your main meals. Maybe you're going to take a 10-minute walk after dinner each night. Maybe you're going to eat a vegetable with your lunch. You're going to eat fruit for a snack instead of cookies. You know what I mean? Make it Mm -hmm. really, really small and something that you think you can do every single day. Step two, plan when and where you will do your chosen action. So let's say I'll pick that walking one. So I already told you I'm going to walk after dinner, right? And I'm going to do it outside or I'm going to walk, you know, in my basement or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So make sure you really figure out when and where you're going to do that. Step three, every time you encounter that time and place, consistently perform the action. Again, that's what's going to really make it automatic, right? Mm -hmm. So make sure you're just super consistent with that. Step four, keep a record or log of your action. Now, this step is optional, but it's highly recommended. Again, the research strongly supports monitoring your behaviors because it's just going to be more concrete in your brain that you're doing it. Can I add a little tidbit to that? Absolutely. When I've done this, I've done this when I'm trying to change my eating habits in particular, because, you know, it, it makes you more conscious of this. But I also record like a little sentence or a little blurb about how I feel after I do that. So how I feel mm. after I eat that vegetable with my lunch. And it just kind of makes me on those days where it's hard to do the thing that you're trying to make a habit, it gives you a little more oomph. And it's like, okay, I did feel good when I do this. Now, come on, I can do this. I can eat that broccoli. I can eat those Brussels sprouts, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you can certainly add that, especially if you feel that would really help you and reinforce why you're doing it, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So after a certain amount of time, again, it could be two weeks, it could be eight, nine, 10 weeks, right? But your new behavior is going to become automatic. It's just going to be part of who you are and what you do. So step five then is now that that one's automatic, you establish a new small goal. So you see, you're just picking really tiny tiny things to kind of do. And then once they become so automatic and you're on autopilot with it, you can pick something different to work on. Definitely. That is all such really good advice. Now we need everybody to start practicing this, including ourselves. (laughs) So everybody who's out there listening, let's start 2021 on a positive note and establish healthy habits for our hearts. Breaking unhealthy habits and starting new ones is not always easy, but with the strategies we discussed today, you're going to be living heart healthy with greater ease in no time at all. If you're listening to our podcast on the Karen Janssen or YouTube channel and you've tried the strategies we've discussed, please let us know about your experience. You know, drop us a line. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel either so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening today, everyone. And as we always say, be the ruler of your own heart. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us on the Queen of Hearts podcast. Our podcast is recorded here at the Karen Yance Women's Cardiac Awareness Center inside Aurora St. Luke's Medical Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more heart-healthy tips, recipes, and more, visit our website at www.karenyantcenter.org. Like us on Facebook at Karen Center and follow us on Pinterest. If you like what you hear, so and be sure to tell us. 
Until next time, be ruler of your own heart.